Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and Lord, uh, we come in faith. Lord, you said where two or three are gathered together in your name, you're, you're here, you're in the midst. And so we're gathered together. We gather in Jesus' name, Father, and Lord, we trust that, that the Lord Jesus is helping us through the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the, the Spirit of Christ, we're trusting to reveal the word of Christ to us uh, just as the word was manifest, the word, the living, uh, the living God was manifest, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, so also, Lord, we're trusting for the, 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 the pictures, the principles, the precepts of your word uh, to be made manifest in and through our lives. And so God, help us to behold beautiful pictures, precious promises. Lord, help us to, to see what your word says God, we want hearts and minds not just to give agreement to uh, just mental assent to, to truth. Uh, Lord, we want to submit to your word, and so God, we need your help. You see us, you know us, you know how easily distracted we are. We're like little children who can understand something very clearly one second, completely forget it the next, and, and so we need help from on high, and, and we trust you for that. Lord, I pray that you would take the weakness of my flesh uh, the stumbling of my lips, and Lord, you'd set all that aside, and, and God, bless us with your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So in Genesis chapter 17, God is renewing this promise, these covenants that he's making with Abraham, and this covenant comes in circumcision. Okay, so uh, point number one for study, in the first half of Genesis 17, we see Abram receiving this covenant. So the covenant received is your first blank. blank. Genesis chapter 17 verse one says, and when Abram was 90 years old and nine, 99 years old, he's a walking bag of dust at this point. And just remember that concept, okay? In terms of his flesh, he's done. That's where Abram is at in life. The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. And we know biblically this word perfect, uh, the Bible uses it a little bit different. It's actually a bigger word than we think in terms of flawless perfection. Uh, no flaw, no error whatsoever. Uh, no inconsistencies whatsoever. Uh, something that's perfect we think in terms of flawless. Biblically the word means be mature, be complete, be whole. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And so what we're seeing here over these last few chapters is that the fact that it's taken Abram 13 years, took 13 years for Abraham and Sarah to come to the place where they can now hear and actually trust in the Lord. Uh, you know, before in Genesis 16, they got, this, they got this promise from the Lord that God was gonna make of Abram through Sarah, a mighty nation, and, and they got the bit in their teeth, they came up with their own plan, Sarah thought she couldn't have a baby, and they made a mess in their tent. Uh, at this time, if Abram is 99 years old, that means Ishmael is about 13 years old, and God comes to Abram with this covenant, he's gonna renew his promises, and in this he gives his name. Notice the name, I am the almighty God. This is maybe if you grew up in the 80s, uh, you heard Amy Grant singing El Shaddai. El Sh you know what I'm saying? Okay, so um, I had her albums. I had a crush on her. I thought, you know, I'd grow up and marry Amy Grant. It all worked out. El Shaddai means the all-sufficient, sustaining God. That's who he is. He's all-sufficient. He is our sustainer. Uh, he's all that we need. Now, notice the picture Okay, knowing God, right? Abram, we're now on a first name basis, right? I'm El Shaddai, walk before me, and be thou perfect. So here's the picture, knowing God should produce a new walk with God. Man, if you know God, that ought to show up in your life. We're saved by grace through faith, amen? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We're saved by God's grace through faith in the gospel. When you heard the gospel preached, when you, when you received the word of God, you believed on it. 
and you receive God's salvation, it's the gift of God. Your salvation, your relationship with God is not of works. Nobody gets to heaven and brags about how they got there. Salvation is a free gift. And everybody, all Christians love Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and they wanna stop there. What comes after verse nine? Verse 10. What does verse 10 say? Ephesians 2, 10 says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath, here it is, before ordained that we should walk in them. You don't, call your, you don't call yourself by the name of Christ. You don't call yourself a believer and then live like hell. Okay, if you are born again, if you've received the gift of salvation, you are a partaker of the new nature in, that, that's in the person of Christ. You're a new creature in Christ. So you don't live like you used to live. You don't roll like you, you used to roll. You are created unto good works. You're a new creature in Christ. Your life is now to be lived anew. How? We walk before God and we grow in Christian maturity. Do You see that picture? It's beautiful, isn't it? A, a, a relationship with Christ should produce a walk in Christ. Romans chapter 12, very familiar verse for, for, for I think most of the disciples. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you just enjoy your salvation? No, I mean if you're saved, you're gonna live saved. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What are you doing? You're growing in Christian, you're growing in biblical, you're growing in, uh, in Christ-like maturity. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A, 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 a relationship with God, knowing God, should produce a new walk with God. Uh, Jesus said, you know a tree by its fruit. Someone who's living like hell, they're living to fulfill the flesh, they're living for the pleasures of this world, that's not Christ, that's not the life of Christ. Uh, Christian, do you hunger after the word of God? Do you hunger after the things of God? Do you hunger after the life of God? is the person of Christ, do you, do you have a relationship with him? Uh, you know, maybe you had a grandma that warned you, and she told you, be careful who you hang out with. Birds of a feather flock together, and her whole point is, is your, your feathers might change, okay? You may end up being the wrong kind of bird if you hang out with the wrong flock, and so you end up being conformed. You know, if you've got a good buddy, and. One of the things that I noticed, uh, you know, over the years, Chris and I will ride our bikes in on Wednesday mornings and we'll have conversations on the way in as we commute to work. We're trying to stay ahead of the fat guys that are trying to swallow us whole, you know? And uh, he'll be, he'll be, we'll be talking about something and one of Chris's comments will be, holy smokes, whatever he's describing, so, something that's, you know, that's large, it's big, some big concept or some big reaction. Braden knows what I'm talking about. Uh, holy smokes. Uh, and I'm like, what kind of smoke is he into that he's got holy smoke? You know, I, just, I don't know. And then after enough time, I would catch myself saying, holy smokes. <laughs> if I'm reacting to something that's big, holy smokes. What? I'm like, where did that come from? Oh, I know where that came from. Chris Best, that's where that came from. You end up being like the people that, are you hanging with Jesus? Are you hanging with him? Is his word starting to come out of your life and your mouth, right? Is it coming out of you? A new, a, a relationship with the Lord should produce a new walk with God. Verse two, he says, and I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for, me, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Now watch this, verse five. Neither shall thy name anymore be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. So here's the next picture, okay, in verses four and five, and we'll see it again in verses four, uh, 15 and 16. Knowing God should produce a new name. There's a new name in you. Look at this. You're not Abram anymore, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations, plural, of thee, and kings, plural, shall come out of thee. 
So Abram, that name means high father. Now it's changed to Abraham, which means, and it's right there defined for you in the text, it's the father of a multitude. That's your name, Abraham. You're the father of a multitude. Let me, I forgot to put it in your notes, uh, so let me give this to you. Revelation chapter two, verse 17. Revelation chapter three, verse 12. That's your homework for today. Check it out. I got a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Yes, it's my, okay, so that's, you know the story. Okay, so, hi, Father. Like, you're going from being a individual singular big deal to a father of a multitude, a father of many nations. Galatians 3, verse six says, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Well, there it is, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Come on, Brandon, sing with me. I am one of them, and so are you. So, okay, there it is. Now, check out Revelation chapter seven and verse nine. This is just from the tribulation period. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, palms in their hand. Okay, so if children of faith are also children of Abraham, well, he's the father of many nations. Now, can you imagine? Uh, here it is, man. Uh, they're gonna all have to, like his whole household is gonna have to get circumcised today. And in the process of getting circumcised, we're all clear on what circumcision is, right? I don't need to. It's the circumscribing of the flesh. So a, a young male child, the foreskin of the flesh is removed. That's called let the whole church say, ooh. Okay, so there it is. Okay, circumcision. <laughs> so they're gonna get circumcised this day. And at the same time, Abraham's gotta break it to him. Uh, yo, my name's not Abram anymore. It's Abraham. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? Everybody looking at Abram like he's crazy. They're all lining up to get circumcised. He's like, oh, by the way, call, my name now is father of multitudes of nations. When he's 99 years old, so just tuck that away in the back of your mind. All right, now skip down to verse 15. God said unto Abram, as for Sarai, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be, and I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yeah, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. So Sarai means domineering which is what we've seen so far in the tent. She had been running the agenda, right? Uh, it means contentious or quarrelsome. Now her name is changed to Sarah, which means princess. How beautiful is that? I mean, what an incredible change. In Hebrews 11, in the, you know, this great faith hall of fame, Hebrews 11 records the transformation. Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because why? Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, Abram. So many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. No mention in Hebrews, no record of her scheming to try to get a baby through Hagar. That's another great, beautiful picture. Man, I, I mean, it doesn't matter how big a mess you made out of your life. If that is now viewed in repentance, and if today, if that's what it took to get you taking God at his word, taking God seriously, man, praise the Lord. God, as far as the east is from the west, which is infinity, by the way, uh, they just keep going away from each other. That's what God does with our sin in connection with you and I. The Bible says he remembers it no more, and Sarah is proof. God's bragging on Sarah in Hebrews 11. She's just full of faith. She believed on the promises, no record of her doubt. Praise the Lord. All right, let's pick it up in verse six. I, I see examples like that, and it just makes me so grateful how God views me in Christ at Calvary, washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He remembers my sin no more. 
He's very good. Okay, let's look at the promise and the covenant, verse six. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. So in verse number seven, we find out that not only is Abraham the father of the Jewish race, but he's also the father to all who believe, right? We looked at this uh, briefly a moment ago. Uh, Romans chapter four says explicitly that Abram is the father of faith. He is the father of us all. Romans 4.11 says that he is the father of all them that believe. Romans 4 verse 16 says that he is a father. Therefore, it is of grace that it might be by grace. To the end, the, to the, end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. He is a spiritual father. Christ reckons him that way. The, the, the person of God reckons Abram this way. All who believe on the gospel, all who believe on the word of God, the promises of God, at the moment of your spiritual transformation, you have a spiritual father in the person of Abraham. Why? Well, because Abraham believed God. He is, he's like the Apostle Paul in this way. He is the pro, he's a prototypical believer, saved by God's grace through faith in his promises. Man, how awesome is that? Verse eight, he reconfirms the promise of the Canaan land. So this is your blank. The promise of the land is confirmed. He says, and I will give unto thee and so thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God and God said unto Abraham, thou shalt keep my covenant therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. Well, what, how do they keep this covenant? Here it is, here's where, the, here's, where the, here's where the chisel meets the anvil. The covenant is a covenant of circumcision. Verse 10, this is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every Man child among you shall be circumcised. And Abraham's now thinking, well, that's, you know, they're babies, they won't, they won't remember that, you know, this, this will be fine. But God doesn't stop there, he keeps on talking. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, uh-oh. And it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is, he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed, he that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And here's the kicker, verse 14, and the uncircumcised man whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people, he hath broken my covenant. So for every male child in the nation of Israel or pertaining to the nation of Israel, every male child had to be circumcised because that circumcision was the token of the covenant that they had as a people with the living God. It was the evidence of his promises over their life. So let's look at these verses, the covenant in circumcision. It's interesting that God promises a baby first. He's gonna make you're the father of nations. So that child of promise has to go. If Abraham's gonna be the father of nations and if it's reckoned in Sarah, not Hagar, what's God doing? He's reconfirming the promise of a child before he drops the hammer on the covenant of circumcision. Okay, why is that significant? Well, the baby is promised, but first, before the baby can come, there has to be something special about this birth. There's gotta be something special about the seed of the woman that Sarah brings to uh, maturity, right? When Isaac comes, it has to be a sanctified birth. It has to be a special birth. It has to be a supernatural birth. So get this down in your notes. This baby that's coming, right? It's a birth dedicated to God's promises, not man's power. It's not you getting the right doctors, it's not you being able to, to figure out a workaround with Hagar, uh, it's not through the schemings of man, the power of man, the plans of man, no, God's just gonna do the work. It has to be 
a birth that's supernaturally the fulfillment of God's promises. Uh, You remember what we saw in Hebrews chapter 11 regarding Sarah. She was past age. Physically, she can't have children. Uh, The Bible says the same thing about Abraham. Uh, He's past the ability to produce a child. So it's a supernatural birth. When the baby is born on the eighth day, he must be circumcised. And so there's another beautiful picture there. Uh, The eighth day, the number eight in your Bible, is very special. John the Baptist was circumcised on the eighth day. Jesus was circumcised on his eighth day uh, as as a newborn babe. Eight is the number of new beginnings. And I'll just give you a couple of references here to to show you this concept. Uh, There was a certain man named uh, Aeneas, which had uh, kept his bed. How how many years was he lame? Uh, Verse 33. Eight years, right? And then what happens? Peter, uh, God uses Peter to heal him. Uh, Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole, arise and make thy bed, and, and he arose immediately. So what do you have? You have a sickness, and in which year is he now walking in newness of life? It's on the eighth year. Second Peter 2, verse five, says that God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, which person? The eighth person, the eighth generation was saved. And then it was a new beginning. A lame man is healed. He begins a new life in the eighth year of his sickness. Eight is the number of new beginnings. And if you'll remember what we saw in Second Peter chapter three, when we saw the millennial day concept in Genesis chapter one, what do we have? Six days of labor followed by a day of rest we are looking at 6,000 years of human history, biblical human history, followed by a millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will rule and reign from Jerusalem for a 1,000 years, and then what happens after the millennial reign? A new heaven and a new earth. Eight is the number of new beginnings in your Bible. Okay, why on the eighth day? Well, okay, because of how God set up the body, the human body, vitamin K, is a clotting element, and it's not, optim- it's not at optimal levels until the eighth day, after which, right, it, it begins to, what happens is from five, days five to seven, prothrom- Chris, tell me if I'm saying this right, prothrombin, okay, th- th- this is what's necessary for clotting. It's maximized in that window, um, and then it starts to, after the eighth day, it starts to lower to normal levels, and so, what, what God's doing is he's setting this baby up for the fastest maximal clotting. In other words, healing happens most rapidly if the circumcision is performed on the eighth day. So God's a scientist, there you go. Um, the act of circumcision now identifies the body of Abraham, his people too, with the covenant of God, the covenant that God made promising them the possession of the land of Canaan. In other words, the the cut on his body, the mark on his body showed that Abraham believed God's promises. I mean, think about it. You don't sign up for surgery there unless you've got a real serious reason. Abraham believed God, that's why he did it. It showed, it it was the proof that he believed that God was gonna give him and the generations after him the land of Canaan. It's like baptism today, okay? Whenever a new believer in Christ begins to move forward in obedience, they begin to move forward, they begin to walk in faith, what's the first step of obedience? Well, it's baptism. It shows obedience and that the old life of unbelief is buried behind them. Uh, It's a picture of the New Testament relationship that the believer has with the Lord Jesus Christ. So just like baptism, circumcision for Abraham was a sign of imputed righteousness. He didn't do anything to earn those promises. God made them over his life. And so circumcision was the sign that he believed God and that God's righteousness was given to him. Uh, so, so, you know, circumcision and baptism are two totally different things and yet they have a parallel concept uh, in common, don't they? Uh, when people get, and you know, we saw two beautiful baptisms this morning, what are, they, what are they doing? They're identifying with Christ. 
They're walking in newness of life. They're walking in obedience to the promises of God. Their baptism doesn't save them. Uh, Christ's righteousness was imputed to them. They're acknowledging that in their life. That's why they stood before you, gave their testimony, and were baptized. Now, God, for the nation of Israel, he takes circumcision very seriously. Seriously is your next blank. How serious? Well, he was gonna kill Moses over it. Exodus 4, verse 24 says, it came to pass by the way in the end that the Lord met him, met Moses, and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cat it, <laughs> well, cast it at his feet and said, surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he, God let him, Moses go. Then she said, a bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. Like if you weren't sure what she did, she literally got her baby down on the ground and removed his foreskin with a rock bro, let the whole church say, ooh. I mean, in Egypt, Moses is going to be representing God's word, but he hadn't obeyed one of the very basic commandments of God for his people. And so Moses' failure to obey God comes God to, I mean, it causes God to come visit him so that he can kill him. God has chosen out Moses to deliver his people and yet, because Moses won't obey the basics, God's gonna take him out and he's gonna find another deliverer. Zipporah had to purchase his life, the life of her husband with the bloody circumcision of her son. That's how seriously God takes his covenants. So think about, let's just, since we're talking about the parallel between how seriously God took circumcision with the Hebrew children, how seriously do you think he takes baptism for the New Testament believer? You're gonna say that you're identifying with Christ, Christ is your savior, and you're, and you're a disciple. What do disciples do? They follow the word of God. They're learners of Christ, aren't they? So we don't, we don't follow Christ according to how we feel or think or according to our whims or our changing emotions. At the end of the day, God's position is it doesn't matter what we think, it matters what he said. Hello, somebody. That's what matters. It doesn't matter how we feel, it matters what God's word says. It doesn't matter how we're doing emotion. No, what does the word of God say over our life? If I'm a disciple, I'm a learner of Christ. If, I, if I'm a disciple of Christ, I'm a follower of Christ. Christ said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I have to take the word of God seriously, don't I? And what a mockery to be baptized and say, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Right, my old life is buried with Christ, Romans chapter six, I am risen with Christ, and now I am, right, I am baptized in the person of Christ, now I'm moving forward in faith, and I'm representing that spiritual reality through this physical act of baptism, and then I'm gonna turn around tomorrow and I'm gonna say I'm gonna continue in sin that grace may abound, God forbid. God forbid. God takes his promises seriously, God takes the price that it costs Christ. I mean, Christ shed his blood to buy us out of that lost, hell-bound life and to put us into the life of promise in the person of Christ. Um, we should take it seriously when we make that statement that we're disciples, we're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, since we're on circumcision, just one more concept. What God's really looking to do in his people is he's looking to circumcise their heart. You say, how can that, how can that happen? Man, I don't know, <laughs> but that's what God's gonna do. Moses, interestingly enough, declared that God would circumcise the hearts of his people so that they would be able to fully love him and live for him. Deuteronomy 30 verse six says, here's the promise to the Hebrew children. The Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. That circumcision was the mark that that person belonged to the Lord. Well, I want my heart to belong to the Lord. You know, unbelief in your Bible is described as having an uncircumcised heart. Did I give that to you in your notes? Uh, Jeremiah 9, 26, is that on your outline? Jeremiah 9, if you don't have it, Let's add this to your homework. Jeremiah 9, verse 26, Ezekiel 44, verses seven through nine, describe unbelief as an uncircumcised heart. 
Circumcision of the heart in the church age, okay, uh, that's an interesting thing. It's a function of the Holy Spirit setting you apart to God. It happens at the moment of salvation. The Bible calls it the operation of God. It's a circumcision made without hands. It's where the Holy Spirit takes the scalpel of God's word. You know, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it will separate, according to Hebrews 4, the physical part of you from the spiritual part of you. How does God circumcise you? Well, here it is. Colossians 2.10 says that we're complete in Christ, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. How did that happen? It happened at the moment of your salvation. Buried with him in baptism. Again, Romans 6 is your cross-reference there. How was I buried with Christ in baptism? At the moment I believed on the gospel of Jesus Christ. God takes me outside of time, right? Outside of 3D space time and plunges me into the person of Christ. So I am now, according to Romans 6, I am crucified, present tense, I am crucified with Christ. I'm dead in Christ, right? I'm buried in Christ. I am risen in Christ, right? I am resurrected. My life is now in the person of Christ himself. I'm buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the, here it is again, the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened or made alive together with him, with Christ, having forgiven you all trespasses, everything that you ever did wrong, he blots it out. It's nailed to his cross. This is why you've been delivered from the devil, verse 15. Romans 2, verse 28 talks about believers, for he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. There is the, I mean, when you, whenever you surrender your life to Christ, when you believe on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, God takes you out, you're no longer sourced in your life in the flesh. You're taken out of your life in the flesh and you're put in the person of Christ. Praise the Lord. Now, here's, a, here's something that we need to take note of, okay? You need to know that spiritually, uh, circumcision, the physical act of cir- circumcision, there's no command for that for the New Testament believer. Okay, so make sure you keep this straight. There's no redeeming grace in the physical act of circumcision today. Circumcision cannot save you. And the Bible is very clear on this for the believer. Romans 2.25, circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. Well, no one's kept the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. So God's position is, is you can physically show that you're a covenant people, but you don't keep the law well then you might as well be uncircumcised. That's how it works. First Corinthians seven verse 19 explicitly tells you circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Well what's something? Keeping the commandments of God. Galatians 5 two, behold, I Paul say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. If you're trusting in your ability to keep the law or keep the Old Testament covenants, well then you don't need the finished work of Christ at Calvary. It doesn't profit you. Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. And the law teaches you that. The law is actually showing you that you cannot please God through your ability to please him in the flesh. And this is why, if you keep going in Galatians chapter five, this is why Paul has very harsh commentary for anyone who says in order to be in right relationship with God, you gotta keep the law. You know the Bible, in Christ, the Bible explicitly tells you that you're, not, you're no longer under the law. Why? Christ didn't come to abolish the law, to do away with the law, he came to fulfill it in our stead, okay? Christ fulfilled the law, the law is there to show you that you can't get to God without Christ. 
And so for anyone to come along afterward and say, you need, to keep the, you need to keep the Sabbath, you need to keep the feasts, you need to make sure you're circumcised so that you can make sure that you know that you're going to heaven. Well, here's, here's Paul's commentary for that crowd. And I, brethren, if I preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would, they were even cut off, which trouble you. Okay, do you get the, do you get how punny Paul is being here? I mean, it's pretty harsh. I mean, talk about cutting off the flesh. Those who are saying, in order to be in right relationship with law, you ha- with God, you have to keep the law. You need to be circumcised. I wish they were cut off. They're troubling you with their legalism. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not a liberty. Use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. But don't miss the incredible picture for the New Testament believer that's in this covenant of circumcision. Who knew that you had to understand circumcision in order to get all of the insight that God has for you in terms of the relationship that you have with him as a part of the bride of Christ. How awesome is that? All right, now let's look at the last half of this chapter. We have some pastors that are saying that we won't get through Genesis until about 2024. (laughs) But we are covering some territory, all right? Stay with me, verse 17. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born unto him that is 100 years old? Because that's how old I'll be if Sarah got pregnant today, right? And Sarah, that is 90 years old, bare. And Abraham said unto God, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with a seed after him. But verse 20 says, and as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he begat, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. And he left off talking with him. And God went up from Abraham. And here it is, verse 23. And Abraham took Ishmael his son and all that were born in his house and all that were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abram's house and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day as God said unto him. He's a 99-year-old man and he's able to force every male in his company. Now remember, he went booty kicking, right? I mean, he had a, he had a troop of three, I mean, there's over, there's, there's, there's over, I'm telling you, there are over 300 men, okay? And this old man makes all of them get, uh, you say whatever you want about Abraham, but he was one bad mammer jammer, okay? You didn't mess with him. So they all got circumcised. Ishmael, his son, verse 25, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the selfsame day was Abraham circumcised and Ishmael, his son, and all the men of his house, born in the house and bought with, the, uh, with money of the stranger were circumcised with him. So what do you have here? God is giving promises to Abraham. And Abraham doesn't just nod his head. Okay, okay, uh-huh, yeah. And then go and do what's right in his own eyes, does he? No, at some point, faith, remember, we're saved by God's grace through faith. Salvation's the gift of God, it's not of works. Nobody gets to heaven based on what they're able to do in their life in the flesh, okay? But once you receive the promises of God, that should produce a new walk in your life. A good walk isn't what earns you with favor with God, no, it's God's grace over your life that produces the new walk in you. So Abram believes God. He doesn't just nod his head and give mental assent. This is what happens so many times. I remember uh, since I, I gave an illustration on, on Chris just a moment ago, uh, one of the things, we need to get Chris to record this. Um, he talks about how, how he began as a disciple of Christ and the pivotal thing in his life that transformed, I mean, this transformed his life was whenever he recognized for the first time in his life that the Bible wasn't just a book for him to study and to take note of, no, it was the very word of God and it was authoritative in his life. 
And that changed how he lived. That changed how, a lot of people like interacting with the word of God, but it's not authoritative over their life. They can pick and choose what they apply. They can pick and choose what they're gonna do or not do in response to what it says over their life. They don't bother to, to obey it. You know, this book tells you to rightly divide it. You need to know what's said to who, when, why. Otherwise, you're gonna take promises that don't belong to the church age and you're gonna end up making a mess out of your doctrine. You'll end up making a mess out of your life and, and you can't help it. You end up opening your big trap and you'll make a mess out of the lives of other people. We're to study to show ourselves approved unto God. The, the Bible commands us to be workmen in the word. Why? Well, because you're gonna give an account. The word of God is speaking over your life and you wanna take it as a, a really cool yeah, holy, yes, very righteous, but it's, it's, it's really just a suggestion. It's there for me if I want to interact with it at my leisure, on my terms. We don't view it as the living creator God speaking over our lives. So for Pastor Best, the thing that transformed him as a disciple of Christ was whenever it clicked for him, the word of God is authoritative. What it says, I have to take serious. I don't get to discount it. And that's what's being pictured for us here in the second half of Genesis chapter 17. Abraham's not like, okay, okay, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, let's go do a barbecue. No, no, they line up and a lot of blood is shed that day. The covenant is believed. Now, what's the picture physically? Abram and Sarah are dead sexually. They cannot bear fruit. These promises of God cannot be fulfilled in the power of the flesh. Power is your blank. They're at the point now where they've given up. They've learned that all human planning, scheming, ingenuity, and effort cannot fulfill God's promises. Brother, sister, you can't help God out in terms of his promises over your life. You can only believe and receive them at some point. And God loves it. God loves it when we give up. He loves, us. he loves it whenever we come to the place where we recognize, God, I can't do it. You'll have to work in and through me. God, I can't make a way. You're the way maker. Uh, he loves it. And this is where they're at. That's why God showed up and said, all right, get ready for the promises. So what's happened now? In his old age, God has brought Abraham from unbelief to belief. And this is what we see in Romans chapter 4. Verse 16 says, therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end of the promise, to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth, maketh alive the dead. That's what's happening here. Sexually, they're dead. God is going to quicken them. He's gonna make them alive so that this supernatural birth can take place. He quickeneth the dead and calleth all things which be not as though they were. Who, Abraham, who against hope, believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither the deadness, the deadness of Sarah's womb he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded what he had promised, he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed. Abraham didn't earn righteousness before God. God reckoned it to him. It was imputed unto him, unto Abraham, for righteousness. You know, in verse one, it says, the Lord appeared to Abram. And that's exactly what God did for Hagar when she was at the end of herself. She could, I mean, she, she doesn't know what she's gonna do. Her life as she knows it is over. Brother, sister, God appears when we're done trying, when we're out of options and we yield to him. Abraham, he hears the promises of God again. He believes, but the Lord has to help his unbelief. The immediate cry of his heart is, what about Ishmael? What about this kid? Lord, would you, no, I've got this kid. Listen, I wanna work in and through your and Sarah's life. Will you believe it? So what does Abraham, what does Abraham do? Line them up, boys. Whip it out. Give glory to God. I mean, man. Abraham obeyed God. Obeyed is your last blank. I mean, real faith is shown in obedience. And sometimes that's not comfortable. 
Yes, we're saved by grace through faith, but the evidence of that faith is Ephesians 2.10. Do we exist as God's workmanship? Do we obey the Lord? See, God desires obedience. He doesn't desire our consideration of his word. He doesn't desire us to give him our best thoughts. No, he desires us to move forward in faith. God desires immediate obedience. Psalms 119 verse 60, he says, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. So think about it, Abraham's obeying God even though the commandment is way over the top. It is interesting, just a couple notes as we clean up here. Ishmael is circumcised, but that meant nothing regarding the covenant over the promised land of Canaan. That was only reckoned through Isaac. And so the picture there, and you see it also in Romans chapter nine, not even all Israel is Israel, right? Only born again Jews are, are true Israel in Romans nine. To be a physical descendant is not enough. Only those who are in the promises of God, once the Messiah comes, that changes everything. It's those who are in the promises of God's word. Now, God's not done with Israel. Keep reading Romans 9, 10, and 11. Uh, When Christ returns at the second advent, all Israel will be saved, Romans 11. The Bible's very clear on that. But here's the picture. Here's what I want you to consider as we close. Are you in the promises of God's word? You can have an outward form, right? This is, the Bible warns us about those who have an outward form of godliness but no reality in the heart. Uh, They act like believers to a degree, right? So they don't cuss, smoke, or chew, or kiss the girls that do because they're a good Christian, but there's no devotion, there's no relationship, there's no walk with God in his word. Uh, It's possible to have a form of godliness, but no reality. And the Bible warns us against that. Are you walking in the promises of God? Do you recognize that you are created as his workmanship to walk in newness of life? You know, you can be a member of Midtown Baptist Temple, your mom and dad can be born again, your grandma can be a mighty woman of faith, but are you in the promises of God's word? I mean, you've got the warning here in Romans chapter nine is that you've got descendants of, physical descendants of Abraham who are physically circumcised and God says you're not part of Israel. Your Messiah came, you rejected him. You're not, what I'm looking for is what's shown on the outside to actually be on the inside. Where's the circumcision of the heart? How come your life is not set apart from your life in the flesh in this world to a life in Christ? Well, you and I, as part of the Gentile bride of Christ, we need to take that example seriously. Are you in the promises of God's word? If so, how you got in the promises of God's word, that's how you live in them. How did I get in salvation? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I believed on the gospel of Jesus Christ. My salvation came by God's grace through my faith in his word. We're saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God, it's not of works lest any man should boast. How I got saved, how I got in the promises of God, well that's how I live in the promises of God. By God's grace through faith in his word. We live in a day where the majority of believers, people who call themselves Christians, they call themselves believers, work very hard to explain away God's truth. Yeah, I know what the Bible says, but, and then everything that follows that but stinks to high heaven. I know what the Bible says, but here's what my circumstances are. Here's why I can't obey scripture in my life at this point. Brother, sister, how you get saved, that's how you live saved. It's, by God, it's all by God's grace through faith. Don't explain away God's truth. Hasten, right, to obey. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. Cling to them. This is the only way. Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name, and Lord, I'm asking that, Father, we would take seriously the picture of circumcision and what it illustrates for the life of the believer. Lord, none of us, we all get it, none of us are required in Christ as Christians to to, to, to pursue the physical act of circumcision. But oh God, 
all of us are to have hearts that are circumcised, believing hearts, hearts of faith that are separate from the world. We're in the world, but we're not of it. Uh, we love the world. We want to reach the lost, but we don't love the, the way that the world lives. Lord, we want to be the circumcised of heart, the believing of heart. We want our hearts to be full of faith. Lord, forgive us where we fall into the trap of explaining away your word, explaining away the promises, the precepts of your word over our life. Lord, forgive us for all the times where we take your word and we treat it carelessly. Uh, We don't consider it as being your very word. Uh, Lord, I know so many times in my own life uh, I've caught myself just being casual and flippant and uh, what, a, what a terrible disservice to you, to what you said over my life. Uh, Lord, please, in me first, God, would you build in me a growing, uh, a very sincere respect for your word that doesn't just give lip service, but Lord, humbles me, the whole, the totality of my life to endeavor to live as that living sacrifice to endeavor to lay down my life as a disciple of Christ. God, you're worth being right with. God, I know there's nothing we can do to earn relationship with you, but the relationship that we have with you should be manifest in my life. And and so, Lord, I trust you for that, and I trust you for that for my brothers and sisters. Before I close in prayer, is there anyone here today that would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? because I'm not sure I have a relationship with Christ. I don't know that my heart has ever been set apart to God. I don't know that Christ is my Lord and Savior. Pastor, would you pray for me? Is there anyone like that in this service? I wanna pray for you. Please pray for me, I'm not sure that I'm saved. Can I see your hands? Is there anyone that would say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? I believe I'm saved, but I'm not I'm not walking, I'm not following Christ like my heart is circumcised, like my heart is set apart to the Lord. Uh, I've not been taking his word seriously and, and I've not been living it out in my life. Uh, today needs to be a day of repentance and rededication for me. Pastor, would you pray for me? Can I see your hands? Okay, all right, I will pray. Father, Lord, you see us, you see how we acknowledge our need before you. And, and so, Lord, I'm asking that, that you would undertake. Lord, I'm asking for your blessing in the lives of my brothers and sisters that our quiet times, our times of study, our times in, in, in the worship services, our Bible studies, Lord, that these would be fruitful times. Lord, would you open your word to us, not because we've earned the right to have the insight, but because, God, you delight to teach us as your children. God, I pray that these would be fruitful times, uh, but Lord, we also pray that, that it would come with the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, that it would be what it is, Lord, that, 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 that these, these precepts, these promises, these instructions, Lord, that we'd receive them as your very word and that they're authoritative over our life. God, we don't wanna give just lip service. We don't wanna have a form, an outward form of godliness, but no inward reality. And so God, deliver us from being flaky Christians. (laughs) Lord, help us to be sincere. Grow us as your children. Grow us as your disciples. We wanna, uh, just like the the, the meeting that you had uh, with Abraham in Genesis 17, one, You're our El Shaddai, you're our almighty God. And so Lord, because you are the all-sufficient, sustaining God, we wanna walk before you and be mature. We wanna be conformed, like Romans 8 says, to the maturity of Christ. And so Lord, we trust you for that today in Jesus' name, amen.